Get Cody's trade alerts and all of his latest positions on the Trading with Cody app for iPhone and Android and on tradingwithcody.com. In this week's Cody Underground podcast, I sit down with Brian Bain from Investor in the Family and talk about tech trends, recognizing revolutions, and some of my favorite stock picks for all of the above, and much more. Here you go. Well, hey, Cody, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Brian. It's great to be back. Absolutely. Well, and you don't really need a lot of introductions since you've been on the show several times before. And as always, we're, we're thankful for your time here. For briefly, for those of you who have not heard some of Cody's previous uh, interviews or shows here on Investor in the Family. Cody is uh, co-CEO over at Scudify.com. I encourage you guys to check that out. It's a great platform for learning as an investor, having a great investing community to dialogue with, learn with, and just become better investors with as well. And in addition, get a lot of great investing ideas while you're there. So I encourage you guys to check that out. And all around, Cody's just a great guy. He's one of those people who I'll say is on the good side of the fence in the investing world who generally is here and around to help people out. And that's one of the reasons we like having him here on the show. So Cody, it's great to have you back as always. Hey, thanks so much for having me. You know, Brian, last night I was speaking at, a, uh, at an investment club and I told them that 20% of Wall Street is outright scam, 60% is marketing and probably worthless, and maybe 20% is people and products that are and services that are out there actually trying to help you build wealth. And I want to be part of that 20%. I think you do too. Well, and I'd say you definitely are. And man, it's, that breakdown is well, not encouraging to me, but helpful because, man, when you get started out fresh with investing, you get online, obviously there's a seemingly infinite amount of information out there. And it's so hard to slog through it all. And typically, unfortunately, that 60% that's mostly marketing and that 20% that may be just downright, you know, bad or I mean, you know, against you scam. is scam. Yeah, there you go. That's the word. I mean, unfortunately, they're really effective at getting the word out about what they're doing. And it's, they, they know the buttons to push and, and where to get. And it can be hard early on to, to sift through a lot of that. And so all of you out there, you may be a seasoned investor or a new investor, and you may I know all of you are probably nodding your heads right now, and uh, but just encourage you the good. There is good stuff out there, and Cody and, and, and I like. And, to for, and, and that's again why you mentioned Scudify earlier. We've got the Scudify apps you could download on the iPhone and iPad and Android devices. And the the thing on Scudify is that you know you're getting probably it's more like sixty or eighty percent of people that are trying to do the right thing and help you build wealth. Um, like any platform, I think there is some marketing that gets snuck on there, but the community itself is self-policing and pretty active on making sure that people are asking questions and or responding in ways that are uh, helpful and respectful. So check out right. Scudify, but let's jump into the interview here, Brian. Yeah, I want to talk about, you know, you, one of your, the way you define your approach to investing is revolution investing. And in the time that you and I have known each other and that I've been following your work, there have been a number of different revolutions. Uh, or you, the word revolution would tie to these different things. And even going back before you and I connected, I guess, would you say the first revolution that you probably really keyed on, would you say it was, it was the tech revolution going back to, to Apple and, and, and Google? Sure. Um, 
and I don't know what I would have called it other than broadly, yes, sort of a tech revolution at that right. point. And I also the video, the internet video revolution. I think I was pretty early on in say 2005, 2006. Um, most recently, and by far the biggest revolution that I got excited for and positioned for and wrote about was the app revolution. Right. And essentially not just smartphones, but tablets and the concept of us going to an app culture and using apps billions of times, uh, you know, trillions of times a day. Apps are accessed now every day. And there's been, a, you know, trillion dollars worth of wealth created through apps and app valuations and app um, revenues and that's real world stuff and that's you know you want to find revolutions like that and I think that's what you're leading us into today is what's the next big one and is it virtual reality yeah we and we do want to go there and but I, I want to lead up to it a little bit in the sense going back to social media or even again back to just the overall tech bubble and you know there's the successes of companies like Apple and Google which were and continue to be great investments and big winners from the app revolution you just mentioned, probably the biggest winner will probably most likely be Facebook so far. I mean, that's definitely one of the biggest. Netflix has been a huge winner there. Also, there have been some other app companies that have fizzled quite a bit. You know, they, they jumped that, you know, they're kind of a cannon out of the, fired out of the cannon, but then just haven't really materialized in terms of as companies beyond the hype. Same thing was true with tech companies back 15 years ago. What would you, do any lessons stand out for you in that regard? Because on the front end, you have the revolution, you're excited, but you know, picking the companies that are going to survive that can be tough. What, can you, what have you learned in that regard? You know, that's a great question, and I think the, the biggest lesson you saw from both the internet early tech revolution of the late 90s and um, early 2000s um, on into the app revolution was that it's sort of a winner takes all. And the big get bigger, and uh, Facebook, um, you know, or even Amazon's sort of an app company, but initially it was an internet company, and, uh, you know, it became big, and then bigger, and now all of us who shop online have an account at Amazon, and use Prime probably, and that's, that, that they become de facto standards, and that's what you want to look for, you want to look for Companies that are going to become the de facto standard in, re in revolutionizing how we're doing business, how we're buying something, how we're watching video, how we search uh, for information, um, how we use our, smart, our, our cell phones. Those are the revolutions you want to get in front of. And once you find the winners, you stick with them because they typically become bigger and bigger winners. Right. Well, and... Absolutely. And that's one of the things that it, it was also so tricky, too, because in the front end, there's always going to be someone who says, man, that well, Facebook is such an easy example because of the way it came out with this IPO and then tanked from whatever was forty five dollars or whatever down to around 18 or so, uh, which is when, you know, you were one of the more vocal people saying, hey, this actually isn't that bad and started investing in it. Um, what sifting through all that, you know, there's the people piling on the hate, which, you know, could be contrarian opportunity or could be legitimate. And then you have companies like a Groupon or a Zynga, different companies that started out really strong and people had a hope for that went down to nothing. Would you say, like, when I think through that, I think, you know, is the difference the product? Is the difference the management? A little bit of all the above? Do you have, do you put your weight 
heavier in one place or the other when you're trying to evaluate which ones are the, the ones that could become those de facto standards? I'll give you two more examples would be Yelp and Twitter for app right. companies that shot out of the cannon and were had huge valuations and then have faltered and are down about 80% each from their highs. Um, and unfortunately, yeah, part of it is just more art than science and, you know, finding a visionary like Mark Zuckerberg or Steve Jobs it helps you have faith that this company is going to continue its trajectory of dominance. And um, never, I never had that with Dick Costolo, for example, at Twitter. Right. I never felt that about the CEO at GoPro, for example. I don't, right. I don't have any faith in those guys. Um, and that has, you know, that's a personal. Uh, uh, that's a personal choice, you know, a personal, I, I'm analyzing those quantify. guys on a personal level. It's not like it's scientific right. or something and I can apply some metrics. Um, but part of it is looking beyond that and seeing the platform um, th that gets built and hits critical mass. And when tr you know, Facebook came public, it was about like 400 million people, 500 million people on the network, on up to a billion soon thereafter. And then, you know, now we are at 1.5 billion and we spend ever more time on Facebook. And, right. and, and seeing that with whether you like Mark Zuckerberg or not, you can see that dominance happening. And Netflix, the same thing over the last five years. You could see more and more people choosing Netflix as a de facto standard when they would when they'd cut the cable. So that type of stuff, it, it, you can you, you want to look for large platforms that become that hit a de facto standard status, that hit critical mass, that that become the that have so many developers on it that create creating products that more and more consumers are coming to the platform so that more and more developers are coming to the platform creating more and more products bringing on more consumers and that virtuous cycle is the type of thing you've got to get in front of mm -hmm. what do you think about you know like you mentioned facebook and netflix obviously two huge winners in this space but they do seem to be hitting some level of critical mass i mean facebook how many more people globally can get on the internet at this point uh, or at least in the near future, to actually add to user base and so on. Once they get to a place where it seems they've hit a little bit of critical mass and maybe the higher level growth has passed, do you lose interest in some of those? Or do you still see a lot of opportunity in some of those companies? I think there's, Facebook as an example, there's still, there would still be so much opportunity because the company is barely monetizing those mm. customers. I mean, you know, a cable subscribers worth 20 or $30,000 on a per subscriber basis when you look at evaluation of a cable company. And obviously, a cable company is a lot generating a lot more revenue per month per subscriber than Facebook. But Facebook valuation is about $200, $300 per subscriber. Mm -hmm. And that means that if and they're barely generating any revenue so having 1.5 billion people on users not subscribers in the case of facebook having that kind of a critical mass and that kind of a huge audience you've got the opportunity to just even generate one dollar per day per subscriber and now you're talking 300 dollars per year uh, per user on facebook and at let's say <laughs> that point two billion users in two or three four years you're, you're talking $300 per 2 billion people 
that's a big number of revenue, a lot and of that's money. a lot of valuation that that Facebook has not captured yet. The stock itself, and that's where you have again. You go back to management because, especially once a company like Facebook is, or even with Netflix, they've gotten beyond the point of you're not worried about is this company going to succeed at this point. You know, they're even maybe say they're past that initial revolution stage. Like they're here, you know, for the foreseeable future, and so then you can look at their management and say now they do have this critical mass. You have confidence. You may not be sure how they're going to make that monetization happen, but you feel like you're going to have confidence in that, that, that they will. And maybe for a company like Amazon, which is, you know, well beyond the revolution phase at this point. But, you know, they, people have been talking about shorting Amazon for years and years and years and years and years because the P.E. is so, you know, appears to be so inflated. And how, you know, how can they can they, they're not making profits because. They continue to invest in the future, but if I remember correctly, Bezos, Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon, has made the comment in his mind, they're like in hour one of the life of Amazon or something to that point because he sees, he feels, feels like they've just begun what he hopes to eventually accomplish, which is insane to think about. Um, but just shows how that company can be established, but so much well, and let me just out there still. Riff on, let me just riff on Amazon there for a moment yeah. and that thought you're having because that's the thing is he's conquered the United States retail market, but there's still a global retail market and there's going to be just a handful of huge, huge global winners in the retail world in 20 years from now. And lots of small business retail stores and winners still, but there's going to be one giant, giant dominant retail company that'll have hubs everywhere that'll have critical mass that'll have cost basis that's so far lower than anyone else will ever be able to scale up to that the profits at that point will be you know just beyond what anyone's picturing so 20 years from now absolutely amazon is you know 20 years old right now and in another 20 years they'll finally be the profit engine that they could be as a global as the single largest global dominant retail company on the planet so how do you do you like factoring that in again looking at the pe and people say well all that future growth is already priced in it's so expensive now would you say when it comes to a company like amazon that's probably a little bit naive to say that I think you could say that the next three to five years of earnings are probably baked in right now with right. Amazon. And the stock is up 300% in the last three years and up 150% in the last year. And that, certainly, I mean, I, I, the stock can be down for 30 or 40% over the next two or three years. And the valuation still wouldn't be wildly compelling on a PE basis or something. So... If you're going to invest in an Amazon and at this stage of it, especially where it's already gone from three dollars per share in 1998 to <laughs> 590 or whatever it's at right now, as I'm talking, um, you've got to know that there's been times, even two or three years at a time, when the stock has been flat or down. And it, if you had told the people in the year 2000 that Amazon had already priced in the next 15 years of growth, in some ways you were right because the stock was right. down 90% over the next two years. But in other ways you were wrong because we're 15 years now into the future and Amazon's up triple from those from where it was even at the peak in 2000. So 
it's part of it depends on your time frame and part of it's having a vision and, and, and being willing to ride out those bad times and bet on the Jeff Bezos and the platform and the potential scale that there could be as a global retail juggernaut. And it's uh, balancing all of that. It's a very tricky thing. I own Amazon and I've owned it for uh, most of the time for many years for, you know, several years, I should say, not as long as I've owned Apple or Google. Right. Well, I mean, I can remember a few years ago, maybe two, three at the most when, Amazon was trading under 250 and now it's in the upper 500. So right there, you've got over a double in a company as big as Amazon in, in three years or so, which is pretty remarkable. So when it comes to all the different, the different revolutions, you know, you've got, you know, it's, I guess just the, the, the time period we live in, it's, you can see revolutions almost all over the place. You've, I mean, there's the wearable revolution with wearable technology, drone revolution, renewable energy revolutions, and those all are industries that viably could be called revolutions because the opportunity seems so significant, especially with the pace that technology is developing and what people are doing with that technology. And we could spend a lot of time talking about all of those. One of the things you've more recently been discussing or kind of raising to the surface is the virtual reality revolution. And I'm curious, I'd love for you to just talk a little bit about what you're seeing there and what excites you about this space. Well, Virtual reality is another good example of something that's so early on in, its, um, in, in what it's going to be. Um, Amazon's 20 years old, but virtual reality in some sense is also 20 years old. If you remember some of the, what was that Coca-Cola commercial that had that talking robot and there were movies in the right. 80s and 90s that had um, virtual reality concepts. The Lawnmower Man was one of them. Um, the, so it's been the concept's been around, but we're finally the tectonic plates of virtual reality have shifted such that you've got so many things coming together right now. The amazing graphics chips from Nvidia driving a relatively cheap consumption of this early hardware of virtual reality that's only going to get cheaper, and the chips will get cheaper, and you'll have you know continual improvement of the product itself, and having. Facebook's Oculus Rift and HTC Vive and the Sony PlayStation coming out with virtual reality platforms in the next year or so allows development and developers to finally start creating those products we were talking about earlier that'll bring in consumers. And the products right now are not great for the mainstream, but you give it five years and there will be thousands of services and um applications and games that are so cool that virtual reality enables uh, that nothing you know and it's just a whole new way of looking and playing and interacting with the world do you see and there's a lot of exciting stuff there because you know it, it makes me think about we've mentioned this before i think in previous podcasts when mentioning the apple watch and people were critiquing well it's not selling very well and so on when in reality it was selling better than the iphone did when it came out and but when the first iPhone came out, it was pretty pretty boring. There's no GPS. There wasn't an app store. It's very limited. And in the same way, but now it's just there's so many applications that you can add into a smartphone. And I'd say even on that front, we're barely even touching the surface as far as ultimate opportunities with apps and other accessories for a smartphone you can use for sensors and otherwise. And you add virtual reality into that and. It just it just expands the ecosystem so much more. That's right, and the 
idea, the, the app store cycle is probably played out a lot faster than the virtual reality development cycle will. Um, there were just su such a pent up demand and everybody could see any developer had easy ability to create apps. And I don't think that's true of virtual reality at this stage. So I think, you know, if it took three years for the app store at Apple to truly hit critical mass and have great, a, a great amount of good product in it, it's probably three to five times that for, you know, five to 15 years before there will truly be great services and the products will be so accessible and whatnot in virtual reality. You mentioned the, uh, how much better a smartphone is, you know, the iPhone 6 plus versus the iPhone one. And the, you know, you can picture that right now while you need a high end Microsoft or for the HTC Vive or for the Facebook Oculus in five years, seven years, our iPhones, our smartphones themselves will have as much computing power as today's high end desktops so they'll be running that virtual reality world for us and that'll make it so much cheaper because you won't need to buy a great big desktop to run this thing and at the same time there'll be more and more people using it more and more developers will have had new services and products hitting the pro the marketplace and you will truly sort of have that perfect storm happening but it we're so early i mean we're probably sure. ahead of it right now and it wouldn't surprise me that we have a bubble in virtual reality stocks before we, and then we get a crash in two or three years. And it's also, but at the same time, it'd be two or three years before the products themselves are actually getting great. And then you'll have that same sort of cycle like you saw in the internet with Amazon where it crashed, but the great dot coms, Priceline, Amazon, or several others have come back and are worth more today than they ever were back then. And that same sort of thing will probably happen in the virtual reality revolution turning into a virtual reality bubble turning into a virtual reality crash and ultimately the big winners will ride that revolution to creating huge wealth for their investors there are probably some good contrarian lessons in that as well and one being be very careful of ever chasing you know the the fear of missing out has ruined many of investors and so if you see any of these spaces whether it be 3d printing a couple of years ago be very, very careful, um, everyone listening, of chasing the hype and excitement because rarely does that ever work out for you. Right. And, and you got to be careful yeah. about which revolutions and, and the timing of those revolutions. And so I think that's what we're getting at. There probably is going to be some great growth. Um, but at some point, you won't want to pay up if, if right. NVIDIA triples from now in the next two years like we were talking about earlier. It's probable that the stock could have then two to three years of at some point of a down or set sideways market as the valuation, as the fundamentals catch up with the valuation or vice versa. Well, and then, and then that's where, again, the other side of being a contrarian, when everyone's hating on it and it looks like, you know, it's worthless and Hey, that was a big mistake. That revolution will amount to nothing. It's like, well, if you thought it was a worthwhile revolution before when that stock is in the tank, that may be a time worth looking into it. And um, so it's just good to keep that in mind as everyone's looking into, especially a Makes revolution. Makes me wonder if I ought to be looking at 3D printing. I was about to ask about that. And here we are yeah. talking about maybe that's the time to look at a stock. So the, I'll mention, throw the name out there. Stratasys is by far my favorite 3D printing name, and I don't own it. And it's crashed 80% from its highs, and maybe it's time to take a look at it.
self, sure. note to self. Yeah. Well, of course, I guess in that space, it, it and, and you've said this so many times, like, you know, usually the best investment is the hardest one to make. You know, the idea that the one that, uh, well, actually, why don't you flesh out what you mean by that? Because I'd like to bring that into the conversation here. So, so many times, you know, buying at a market low when you feel like puking and you want to sell everything, that's usually a great time to buy. And then vice versa, when you feel like a genius and all your stocks have been up, even just as recently as the end of last year, I was able to promote Trading with Cody, my subscription product. Go to tradingwithcody.com and check it out, everybody. Um, because And the sales pitch wrote itself because my big longs were – Apple, Google, Facebook, uh, Netflix, I'd, you've written these names to Facebook. I had a 400%, 300% gain in or something at the time, and it just wrote itself. And I was short Valiant, the company that's crashed 80% in the last six months, and short Pandora, which is down 50% in the last six months. And I've warned everybody, stay out of oil, don't try to time a bottom, and here oil was crashing. And the point of all this isn't to make me sound like a genius. The point was that was actually the time to sell because you were at least going to have a temporary blip. When you feel that smart, when you feel that genius, it's probably time to sell. It's hard to sell at that moment. And for the record, I was trimming my stocks and writing articles literally called When You Feel Really Smart, it's time to trim. And that's how it is, you know? I mean, there's a contrarian aspect to the hardest time, the hardest trade to make is often the right one. And that's, it was along with just being a contrarian in some sense. Um, when everybody else is panicking, it's hard to be bullish. And when mm -hmm. everybody else is high-fiving and feels like a rock star and telling their stories about their stock picks at the cocktail party, it's hard <laughs> to sell or trim. And it's also hard sometimes to know where you are in that cycle. And by the way, you're, yeah. the cycle takes time. I don't think we're at either extreme at this very moment. Yeah. Well, and those, those are all lessons that I, I, I like to bring back to as much as possible. Patience is when you just hit on. Because a lot of times these cycles can take years. You know, some bigger cycles with energy, oil and otherwise can take many years. And other cycles can take, you know, a year or two in technology where you don't have quite the infrastructure lags and otherwise. But it's so hard to wait for those opportunities because we, I'll say I, I think it's true for most of us, there's all, we, we, we don't want to miss out. We don't like sitting in cash. We don't, waiting six months or a year or two years for good investment seems crazy. And it seems like forever in the investing space, especially for anyone semi-actively engaged and, and, in the community. And can I just throw out that for, uh, to underscore? Please. It's hard. It's yes. hard. That's what, that's what you're right. I mean, that's exactly underscores the point. It's so hard to wait for great investments. It's so hard to sell when, when things are great and it's so hard to buy when things are horrible and all that stuff. It's, it's hard to do and you have to be, have the discipline. If er, and it goes back to that old classic thing. If it were easy, everybody would be doing it. And sure. very few people are truly successful in the stock markets and that's because it's hard. Well, and, and, and so much of it isn't necessary. Some of it obviously is decision making in terms of research and technicals or analysis, fundamental, everything like that. But so much of the mistakes that we all make, I think, come back to human emotions. You know, we are emotional, irrational human beings, whether we want to admit it or not. And if we leave that unchecked, we're, it's going to lead most likely to bad investments. We're either going to rush into bad investments or rush out of good or bad investments. And so we'll have that, won't have that conviction early on one way or the other about what we really believe with that investment. And then we also 
um, we'll have the discipline to stick to it. You know, for example, if we really believed in, say, 3D printing, for example, if we, if three, four years ago, we really believed in the potential of this technology, then really nothing's happened in the last three years that should change what we think that space will do. What's changed is, on a dramatic level, is the, the price, the value people are associating with those companies. So if you thought it was a good idea three years ago, then it's probably a really great idea right now. And I'm not recommending any of those companies per se, but it's a great example. And I would also just say that underscores another point that I always make with people. And you don't have to go all in or all out on your portfolio or on exactly. any individual stock at any individual time. If you want, if you liked 3D printing, you could have bought just a small position and left yourself room to add. And now is that time to probably be adding if you like that revolution. Let's move off of 3D printing and get back on virtual reality. Yeah. <laughs> what do you like in virtual reality? Like what, 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 where do you, being this early in the process, where do you look? What's up? Where are the opportunities? So the cheapest and probably uh, least risky name in virtual reality is Sony. <laughs> surprisingly enough, I think that the Sony PlayStation and the price point of the Sony PlayStation and the critical mass of developers that are already on the PlayStation enable Sony to be sort of the uh, clear favorite uh, in this horse race very early on. Um, the stock is also relatively cheap. They got a great balance sheet and... Um, there's other reasons to own Sony that I won't go into right now. I do own the stock. I've owned it for about a year and a half. I've got, oh, I bought it in the mid-teens or so, and I still own it. And I think uh, there's a lot of upside in part because Sony's going to be a big player in virtual reality over the next five to ten years. And I assume Facebook, obviously, some opportunity there. Well, and Facebook's hard to call it a virtual reality play when so much of it is truly a the social side of that company, sure. uh, the valuation of it, the revenues of it, etc. The Facebook Oculus Rift doesn't have the existing developer base that uh, Sony does. And, um, you know, if you've got faith in Jeff Bez, I mean, in uh, Mark Zuckerberg running Facebook and creating the platforms and the developers uh, community that he's created there, I think you can bet that he'll do the same thing in, with the Oculus Rift. But there is some risk there because it doesn't exist yet in the way that it does with Sony. I do also mm -hmm. own Facebook, as you mentioned earlier. I've owned it sure. since a few weeks after the IPO. Sure. And what about component part type stuff? I know that that's something you've, you've been good about in the past is finding you know, we may think of a revolution and we may think of the big name companies, but it's the, a lot of the smaller suppliers and other people that could actually benefit a lot more in that space because they can go from zero to 60 pretty quick. NVIDIA is probably one of the clearer plays in the virtual reality revolution. Their high-end graphics are driving the Oculus Rift and... Um, there's a lot of opportunity there just um, with NVIDIA and also artificial intelligence in other places. Um, the uh, Qualcomm is another name uh, just uh, it, because they, are, they have exposure to it and they're developing chipsets that will help drive um, virtual reality platforms. Um, and, uh, yeah, let's see... Um, let me pull up a couple others, and while you ask another question, I'll, uh, I'll take a <laughs> next on that one for just a second. Yeah, no problem. Well, you gave several good ones to think about there. 
you know, and I want to zoom out a little bit too about the virtual reality and just brainstorm a little bit about the future there because when I think of virtual reality, probably one of the first applications I think of would be media consumption. Um, we've mentioned Sony, mentioned Facebook. And oh, a lot can of I throw stuff. out another name? There it is. Yes. I'm sorry to interrupt. Amberella oh. was the name I was trying to think of there and you I go. couldn't come up with. AMBA, it's another name I own. And they'll, uh, they supply the HD chipsets that record uh, so many virtual reality things. And, of course, you'll have a whole YouTube-type syndicate of uh, retail people, just everyday Joes who are creating their own virtual reality videos. And Amberella is a great play on that. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, but as far as, I, I, it's kind of fun to brainstorm, and some of this is maybe educated, some of it is just guessing a little bit too as far as the applications for virtual reality. What do you see? Like what kind of things do you think of and how virtual reality will be used in the future? Well, very early on it'll be about gaming more than anything, I think. Uh, and then uh, soon thereafter it'll be about movies and consuming TV and videos that uh, entertain you in a virtual reality setting so that you'll be in the movie itself. You can turn around inside the rooms and watch the movie from even just a, uh, a point of view perspective, an entire movie. I think there'll be a whole new genre of mainstream movies that'll come out uh, built around virtual reality experience. Um, and then that's where you get excited is then say five years out and thereafter, five, 10, 15 years out where you'll have doctors doing, being able to visit patients uh, through virtual reality. You'll have um, teachers being able to teach students and have classrooms that are in virtual reality setting and um, stuff that we haven't thought of will of course be coming out. There's companies that aren't even founded yet that will be some of the most dominant virtual reality applications and services that are created. When having scenarios where true, I mean, I'm sure the goal for these companies is really being able to create, it sounds redundant, but the term virtual reality is a reality around you that isn't real, but feels real. And so you can imagine the, like I said, the the endless possible ramifications of that in terms of products, services, and otherwise is pretty, pretty astounding to think about. And we would be, uh, we wouldn't have a complete discussion about it if we didn't just at least mention the application of porn uh, in virtual reality will uh, generate a lot of wealth and yeah. divorces, but a lot of, uh, there will right. be a lot of virtual reality porn revolution going on in about, you know, again, in the next three to five years is when the porn is always very early on a technological uh, shift of video consumption. So, yeah, as with any technology, this, there's unfortunately a lot of unfortunate applications as well because as people we can take good things and move them in lots of directions well, and, and it stuff, doesn't have to be i'm not making any judgment about porn I, and virtual I, I, reality i know but if you, you mentioned on my show i can't like sound like i can't make I'm it i just can't saying say i know wanna, there's truth there's truth to no it, judgment just there's a lot of, wanted there's to point a lot of money have there. a complete discussion if we're going to talk virtual reality revolution we need to mention it put a period on it and let's move on keep asking there the you other go questions. there you go well, um, I, uh, I don't want to end on that, but with that said, we, we are um, toward the end of our time. But I, I do thank you for uh, your time, Cody, as always. And for anyone looking to track some of these revolutions and kind of get some more uh, input and research and ideas and everything else, obviously, 
We'll have links to Cody and, and his other resources and stuff on the show notes for this site. So be sure to check those out as well. Yeah, Co- but, I'll just throw it out there, tradingwithcody.com. Check that out if you want to subscribe to my services and see my entire portfolio and trade alerts anytime I buy and sell any of these stocks. And uh, download the Scudify apps for iPhone and Android where you can find Brian and myself and other uh, seasoned veterans on Wall Street that can answer questions and uh, will be wrong just like anyone else sometimes, but uh, can throw out some ideas for you too. Awesome. Thanks so much, Cody. Thanks, Brian. Like Muhammad Ali. Well, please, fill a sea breeze, vent and release and believe that it'll all be okay. Trust me, because they got the same old thing on a block, and I got the acid rock. You kidding? You'll be giving it up and keep on giving while I'm living it up. Myself, I'ma take from the poor and give to the rich and double high deep. I dig every ditch and then be good in the game like Joplin until I'm violated or quit. Well, I'll be living it up and keep on living while you giving it up. And about the way he living Take a hit, make a hit, keep a tunnel vision Sign a deal with the fans, go to music prison Who believe you a prophet when you enjoy your music Sells advertisements for profits Well, who knew, boo, ho, we get a clue Yo, do I blew your mind from to you to Soho Cody Willow, New Mexico, Lobo, Muddy Souls Get around like hobos, yeah, we be tearing it up And you gon' get it, how you giving it up? See, I thought I was rich till I got rich and found out how rich rich can get. 